accident by accident at all. And I hope you have come to expect something at the same time, right? Amen? Because when we expect things, God can move. And we are very honored and privileged today to have an amazing man of God. And I will introduce him in just a moment. But I also want to thank everybody who was a part of... Uh, we had a busy week. We had uh, nine students went to camp. Again, we prayed over them last week. Nine students came back. And we're going to... Yeah. And we want to thank the leaders and the adults that went along with them. I heard and many of you have heard that it was just a wonderful time and, and a lot of uh, movings of gods and they also had fun uh, with some of the camp things as well and we'll hear more about that in the, the upcoming Sundays but thank you leaders for stepping out and going to the camp thank you so much yeah they gave up pretty much their whole week to do that and we are thankful for that it was also a busy week in Seekonk too we had our night out on crime uh, where we yes thank you volunteers that did that I know Kim Anna and who else am I missing? And Alma. Thank you. Yes, all came out to help. And uh, that was fantastic. It, it was a great opportunity to be in front of people that maybe not normally would walk into a church and just serve them and love on them when we could. It may be have been handing out soda and water, but uh, I know the ladies that were there were passionate about sharing love. So we were excited for that, and we appreciate the police and fire department for allowing us to do that, yes, yes, we have a great relationship with them. Uh, the other thing that happened is we had a rock concert here on Wednesday night. Was that okay? Yeah, yeah, it was a ministry that night. It was wonderful. So Petra, the band Petra came out. Uh, we had almost a full house. It was a wonderful time, and they ministered that night. And uh, I was able to hear just uh, some of the testimonies. I mean, when you're on your 50th anniversary tour, you probably, and in ministry, you're going to have some testimonies, right? So some of the testimonies of the people they would reach through their, their types of music was just phenomenal and the miracles that were happening. So I do want to thank the volunteers that came out to do that as well. That was fantastic. But yes, it was a busy week. And what better way to end this week with an, a, an amazing man of God, a true servant of the Lord. We have uh, Christopher Alam here today. Uh, we're just having our service today because he is traveling in the next few days. So there's just the morning service today with our brother Christopher. Uh, he's Him and his wife Britta are here today. They lead an amazing ministry called Dynamis World Ministry. And he'll talk more about that. And we are a financial monthly supporter of him. So we are partnering with him in the endeavors to help bring his kingdom here on earth. Would you please welcome Brother Christopher Alam, thank you.
No? All right. Hey. Praise God. Well, let's pray together. Father, we come to your presence. In the name of your son, Jesus, who was whipped and beaten and crucified for us, taking upon himself all of our sins and carrying all our diseases, and by whose stripes we have been healed. I ask you, Father, that you would let your word penetrate our hearts and do your work in our lives so that you may be glorified, so that we may bear much fruit for your glory. Thank you, Father, for what you are going to do in our lives. And for everything, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you for bearing with me, for standing extra minute. Let's, uh, I want to show you some pictures about our latest, these are our latest activities in Africa. And uh, let me, this is Uyoli in Tanzania. And this is interesting because this was, uh, when I said recent, I wanted to show, you know, this year and end of last year. But I'm, I added this on because uh, Tanzania was the only country that was open to us during the pandemic. Uh, it was very interesting because when COVID came, the president of Tanzania was a Christian. And he said, well, if these uh, advanced and wealthy Western countries cannot handle it, how will we in Africa do it? So he shut the entire country down, but he said, I want the churches to be open, and I want a week of prayer and fasting. So they, he shut the whole country down, but the churches were open, and there was a week of prayer, prayer and fasting. Then at, at the end of the week, he said, well, we have prayed, and I believe God has heard. So I declare the nation healed, and we will have three days of Thanksgiving, three or seven days of Thanksgiving, I've forgotten. And so they had you know, those days of Thanksgiving. And after that, the country was open for business. So I went into Tanzania and did crusades the whole year during COVID. And, um, and the thing was that I asked doctors, and of course, he was criticized by the media uh, worldwide. And, uh, you know, that he was living in a dream world and there were people who were dying. But I asked doctors and senior missionaries and Christian physicians and they said, we do have COVID cases, but they're very few, very, very few. They're negligible, and it's not a, a major problem in Tanzania. And so the country was open, and uh, so you see, people came out to hear the word of God, and, and we, we had our crusades. And uh, anyway, the next one is, uh, this is in Chawaba. This was immediately after COVID was officially declared as ended and Zambia opened up and I was the first one in there and it was great because there was such excitement because after two years they could finally have open meetings you know for the first time so it was like everybody showed up so this is Chawama Zambia and the next one is this is in uh, well I think this is Chipata compound. I did. I had four crusades, you know, to the start. This is the, this is the other one. And the next one, this is a place called Linda in Zambia. This was the third one. And this is uh, in, uh, I think this is George compound, another place. And you see thousands of people came out to hear the gospel and people were saved. And in each one of these crusades, we had 25,000 baptized with the Holy Spirit on the last night. 
So that was, uh, that was a good, you know, start. Anyway, then the next one is, this is, this is, all, this is in Chipata compound. And the next one is, this is, this is, um, this was like three weeks ago in Mozambique. And I went to this place that was, you know, basically unreached uh, in the sense that they've never had a gospel outreach in history. And because this was in the interior of the country, a place very hard to get to, uh, very, you know, difficult to access that place. Plus, this was the headquarters of the guerrillas who have fought the government for 45 years, since 1978. So to get there, I went on a safari airplane. And I found out that there was a safari plane with five seats that flew every day there. So I went on that plane, and they landed on a grassy strip. So when I sat in the plane, it looked different because I used to do some military flying before. And this was like when I was sitting in the plane, it was like sitting on the inside of a bus or a truck. You know, it it was just built differently. And so anyway, so... The plane took off. After we landed, my team were waiting for me. Now, we landed on a grassy strip. It was actually a strip of grass, which I've never landed on a grassy strip before. And my team said, well, Pastor, when they saw the plane coming, he said a guy went out on a motorbike chasing all the wild hogs and antelopes off the, off the grass. You know, they were feeding on the grass. They had come from the bush, and they were feeding from the jungle, so they chased them all away and made sure that the place was clear before the plane could land. And they did the same thing before I took off. When I left, I saw it there myself. So we landed, and when I got off the plane, I asked the pilots, I said, what kind of plane is this? And they said, oh, this is made in India by Mahindra. And Mahindra makes buses and trucks and jeeps, and it looked like they had taken, you know, the truck and put wings on it and, and a propeller in the front and made a plane. I said, well, praise God, we made it safely. So it was interesting. I flew on a Mahindra plane. I didn't even know that Mahindra made planes. So anyway, so that was our first crusade. And, and, and the thing is that if you look on Google Earth, this place is like a, just a collection of huts. So I was wondering if anyone would show up. But people came. People walked from 30 miles away because they were so excited. Nothing of the sort had ever been held before. And we had thousands of people saved, people healed, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they wanted us to come back there and also teach pastors. Because there's about 360 churches in that area, small churches out in the bush. But they have never had any teaching, no one there to help them. So we're going to go back next year. So I don't know when, but that's in the plans. Anyway, the next one is, uh, this is a woman who was paralyzed, who was healed. And the next one is, uh, this is uh, a woman who was completely blind, received her sight. And the next one is, uh, this is the, now in Africa, real power is not in the hands of politicians. It's in the hand of the local tribal chiefs, you know, the traditional chiefs. And so this was the local traditional chief of that area. And, and he, uh, uh, he, was, he, he was paralyzed. He couldn't walk and he was deaf in one ear. And God healed him. And when, when they saw him on the platform testifying, it, it had an amazing impact on the crowd. And many more people came to hear the gospel. And the next one is, uh, this is another 
young man who was blind who received his sight. And the next one is, uh, no, this is, this is actually quite a funny testimony. This guy, this was in Tanzania. So he came and his, if you see the front of his shirt, the upper part of the front of his shirt is covered with blood. He had been in a car accident in the morning and his, his ear and everything, all the flesh around here had literally been torn off. I mean, it, was, it had been torn off. And so, uh, and, and of course, he couldn't hear. You know, he'd become deaf. His ear had been torn off. So his friends rushed him to the ER. The doctor took one look at it. He took that torn off ear and that thing, just put it back on, didn't even clean it, just slapped it back on, put a bandage on him and said to him, Go to that crusade, get prayed for, you'll be okay. So, so, he, so, so he showed up at the crusade and when we began to pray, the power of God came on him. He received his hearing and his ear was kind of miraculously fused back together. He was completely healed. So I would love to meet that ER doctor someday. Praise God for doctors like that who believe in the power of God. Anyway, then the next one is uh, this. Now, this is interesting. This woman came with a child. The child was a year and a half old. And the child had no muscles on the neck to hold the head up. I mean, it was like the head was flopped over to one side. And, and there were no muscles. So the baby was not expected to live because the windpipe and everything, you know, was skewed. So it would impair uh, breathing and eating. And so they... Didn't expect the baby to live. But she said, while you were praying, suddenly I felt my baby, the child just lifted up its head and was okay. And I put my hands on the neck and I could feel how God was creating muscles on the neck. And now the child is healed. So this child was completely healed, was holding its head up. I could turn its head. It was perfectly normal. So this, and the next one is, uh, this is a, child who was born deaf and mute hearing and speaking for the first time and that lady behind the child is the child's mother and the next one is this is a man who was blind received his sight and the next one is another this child couldn't neither speak nor hear nor could he stand or walk and God healed him completely he was standing on his feet walking could hear and could repeat everything I said And the next one is, uh, this is another child who was born deaf and mute, who received his sight, uh, I mean, received his hearing and speech. And the next one is, this is, this is, this was amazing. This little child was born paralyzed and the mother came up and said, my child could not walk. And so I took the child and, well, of course, when I held him, he was crying. So I told the mother to walk about five yards away. And so I put the child down, and the child began to run towards its mother. And, and, the, and the photographer, you know, I don't have any trained photographer in my team. I just have an, set the camera and auto and tell one of my African guys, just point and shoot, you know, and shoot as many as you can. One picture will turn out that is good, and so we will use that. So he did that, and he got this picture. I think it's beautiful, showing the little boy running to its mother. Praise God. This was the last picture. So, praise God. So, thank you. Thank you for your support of our ministry. Uh, you know, we do, uh, we do eight crusades a year in Africa. 
and uh, then we do we do eight crusades a year in Africa, and we do four uh, in a country in Asia that has uh, a lot of persecution of Christians. So I cannot mention it on live stream. So we do these twelve crusades every year, and we have done six so far, and we got six more to go. We are halfway through the year, so we are making good time. And I just came back from Africa three and a half weeks ago. I was in Mozambique, and now I'm going to go to northern Zambia, in uh, way out in the north of Zambia. And it's uh, 650 kilometers from the nearest airport, which is, I think, I think about 500 miles from the nearest airport. So I've had to rent a plane, but uh, there's a missionary uh, aviation uh, setup. They call flying missions. They got a couple of planes, and they rent their planes out to um, missionaries and preachers to fly them around. So I've rented one of their planes. He's going to drive me there, and then he's going to fly me back. We'll be there for two weeks. We'll also be doing two schools of ministry for pastors. So we'll do that also, plus we'll do the two crusades. My team is already there preparing everything, so everything looks good. So do keep us in prayer. And that's when I'm leaving on Tuesday. I'm flying home this uh, afternoon and then on Tuesday morning I fly to Malaysia where I'll do a three-day indoor crusade and from there I fly to Zambia for our two crusades and then I'm going to be in Portugal for two days outside Lisbon I'll be preaching there and then I'll be I'll be back home and then I'll be home for two weeks then I'm back in Africa for my two last crusades of the year in Africa so it's all good amen praise God well, um, I, you know, I was, I, I, I was wondering what the Lord would want me to share with you this morning, but I'm going to go into a rather unusual subject, which I have taught only once before, and, uh, but this is, this is something that I believe will help many of you, and I want to talk about winning the battle for your mind. You know, that, that, that is something that we all struggle with and even I struggle with. There, there's a battle going on for our mind. And what gets your mind gets you. Uh, Proverbs 23 verse 7, uh, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So a man is really what he thinks in his mind. You understand what I'm saying? Now, if you look at the thoughts of God, the thoughts that God has for you and me, uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope, a future and a hope. So the thoughts that God has for you and me, it says they are, they are thoughts of peace. Good thoughts. The thoughts that God has for us are good thoughts. And that's for all of us. And they're not evil thoughts. God doesn't wish any of us any evil. I know too many people, I'm saying this because there's many people who, who ask this question, why is God against me? I mean, why, why don't things work out? Why don't things work out in my life? I, I do my best to follow Jesus, yet you know, things go wrong with me. Why? Why? Where is God in all, in all this? And they're trying to rationalize and figure what God, where God is in all this. But here's the truth. God has only good thoughts for us. God has no, I mean, he has no reason to 
think evil of us. God has no reason to wish evil for us. He doesn't gain anything by any of us failing or being miserable in any way. He has nothing to gain. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is a good God. And we say things that someone says God is good and everyone says all the time. But we don't really mean it. But yeah, he's good at times, but not all the time, you know. But I say it because it's a cliche. Of course, we can't. Someone says God is good and you shout some of the time. You know, you, you, don't, you, don't, want to, you want, don't want to hear people, you know, you don't want people to hear, you know, to, to hear you say that. So he said all the time. But, but, but then, so here we see a discrepancy that uh, God, he says, or I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Then he talks of the future, to give you a future and a hope. God wants to give us a, a wonderful future. And he wants to give us a hope so that we live in anticipation of the good things he's going to do for us and for our families. That's the truth. That's what God wants. Yet, yet the truth, the reality is we don't end up that way. We, we, we see a lot of other things that don't line up with what God wants. And why? Well, this is the thing that no matter what God says or thinks of you, you become what your thought life dictates. God has plans and purposes and all that, and that is all well and good. But he can never shove his purposes and thoughts into our throats, into our lives. No. What we ultimately become isn't what God says. But what we ultimately become is what our thought life dictates. And that's the sad truth. What our thought life dictates. So you can change that if you learn to harness your mind. If you learn to harness your thoughts, if you can control your thought life and bring it to subjection, you can actually change your destiny. You can change your life instead of being a victim. You know, when I got saved, I'll be very, can I be honest with you? You know, when, when, when I got saved, I did experience a radical change in my life. And the first thing I experienced was this. I mean, every one of us, has a different life experience. We come from a different background and different, you know, bad things that have happened to us. And so where I came from, my biggest problem was this burden of sin I carried in my life that I was very aware of. And I mean, I had other issues too, but that was the single biggest issue. And I knew that I would die and go to hell. And I, uh, you know, I lived under a burden of sin. And when I, but there were other things also, bad things, but that was the worst one. But when I got saved, the first thing I sensed was this, that I had lived my entire life carrying this huge rock. And that had been lifted off. My burden of sin was lifted off. And my whole life, which had been like in black and white and in a gray scale, was now in color. So there was this euphoria. There was this pure joy which I experienced. And, uh, but once that joy subsided, I realized that I was still the same as before. My thought life. My obsessions and the things that 
you know, my everyday life, the way I used to think, my mentality was still the same. And it had not changed. And I used to wonder, how will God change this? Because the new birth is a miraculous thing. Forgiveness of things is a miraculous thing. And, and I didn't know how all this other stuff would change that was going on in my mind, in my psyche. I didn't know. I was expecting a miracle similarly to the miracle of salvation. But it didn't go away. And nobody could ever teach me either. I mean, I talked to pastors. I said, please help me. And they said, oh, brother, we'll pray for you. You know, we all struggle with things. But don't worry, you know, Jesus knows and all that. But I didn't want to. I know Jesus knows. I didn't want another repetition of it'll be all right. Jesus knows. I wanted a change. And it took me years, years before somebody actually told me how I could change my thought life. So I, I begin to take those steps and I am much better now, but I'm not by far where I need to be because it's a lifelong project. Do you know that you're a lifelong project? Praise God. Tell that to your spouse. They'll be happy. So as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Really, what you are like is how you think in your heart. That dictates, that determines what you'll be like. Now, let's look at one thing. We talk a lot about spiritual warfare. You probably heard a lot about that. And let me tell you what spiritual warfare really is. And I'm going to 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5. And the scripture says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Carnal actually means flesh. People don't like to hear the word carnal. You know, carnal Christians. Oh, I'm not a carnal. We think, we think that word carnal is a bad word. It's not. You know, in Spanish we have a word carne, which means meat. And I love meat. Carne asado is one of my favorite meats, you know. Grilled meat. I, I love that. But when people say, you know, I'm preaching in Argentina. They say, brother, do you want some carne? I said, yes, but you call me a carnal person. I don't like that. But carnal actually means one whose flesh leads him. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're an evil person, you're bad, or you're a dirty person. It just means that your flesh, your mind leads you. That's a carnal person. That's a carnal Christian. So it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Okay? So this is spiritual warfare. We have weapons that of, of our warfare that are not fleshly weapons, but they're mighty through God and they pull down strongholds. Now, what are those strongholds? This is casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So true spiritual warfare is not fighting demons and devils. But it's dealing with your mind. Casting down thoughts and imagination. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, we all have thought patterns. Which are a result of our background and how we have lived our lives and how we were treated as children, whether we were loved by our parents or abused by our parents, you know, whether we were criticized or we were affirmed, you know, all those 
All those things have created something in us. Thought patterns, how we look at ourselves, how we look at our lives, and how we react in different situations. So those things, if you've got thoughts and imaginations and thought patterns in your life that steer you and control you and lead you and determine how you're going to react to circumstances or to people, if those things, those thought patterns, they are, how do you say, they go contrary to what the word of God says, those are strongholds that need to be torn down. Every thought, every thought pattern that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that means it contradicts what God says about you in his world, in his word, you have to bring them into captivity, you have to tear them down. In other words, you have to brainwash yourself all over again. With the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is spiritual warfare. Because it's easy to yell and scream at the devil. Anybody can do that. Right? Demons are easy to deal with. We see demon possessed people in our crusades in Africa. You know how we deal with them? We cast the devils out. We command them to leave in the name of Jesus. And they leave. But it is these things in our minds. Those, are, those don't go away overnight. We have to deal with them. So spiritual warfare means to deal with our greatest enemy. And my greatest enemy is that which is in my mind that makes me think and believe in a way or in ways that are contrary to what the word of God teaches. Are you with me? Please say amen. I know we're in the Northeast, but you know, if you're silent, you make me nervous, you know, just... <laughs> Just say amen or shout or anything, okay? Or show some sign of life, okay? Okay. So I, I, so I was putting my thoughts together, so I wrote this down. And you see, the state of our minds are a result of our environment. A child who grows up subject to, subjected to continuous rejection, to neglect, or to emotional Verbal or physical abuse during the sensitive years of childhood and adolescence will be a wounded, hurting person as an adult. That is the story of my life. I was rejected and abused by my parents. And uh, I mean, my father, I mean, he was, he was a general in the army and uh, he, was a, he was a very good army officer. He was liked by his friends, but he was a terrible father. I was neglected. I was abused. In my entire life, I remember my father saying something good about me before others only once. He never told me. No matter how hard I tried, I was never good enough. He never told me, well done, or I'm proud of you. Never. And I, I did everything to please him. My mother left me when I was eight years old. She never cared, never looked back, built her own life. Became a wealthy businessman, became a politician, member of parliament, and she was basking in her glory. She didn't care for me. My father married another woman. She used to beat me up. So when I was 13, I left my home and joined the military. When I was 17, I saw war, and through all these years, my dad, my, I mean, nobody cared for me. I, 
I grew up. I was a mess. I was suicidal by the time I was 15. And the only thing that kept me from committing suicide was that I was a Muslim and Islam taught that if you commit suicide, that's an unpardonable sin. That's a, a cardinal sin. You're going to go to hell and there's no mitigating circumstances. So that was my life when I came to Jesus. So although I was saved and I loved Jesus, no doubt, don't doubt that. I was a mess. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I would, my reaction to people would be like, for example, it's just a little thing. I would walk into church and, and they were, you're a friend of mine and, and he wouldn't notice me. And I would sit through the whole service thinking, you know, he doesn't like me. What have I done? Nothing. He just didn't notice me. My reaction to other people was, was always I saw everything through the prism of rejection. I grew up, I was told I was ugly, I was good for nothing, I would not amount to anything. You know, that was the reality. And, and many of you, maybe, you know, you haven't had to leave your home when you were 13, join the military, but you have similar experience. Am I Right? Right? Many of us grew up, you know, to varying degrees. And, and those things, they, those wounds, they, they stay with us the rest of our lives. You can be 50, 60 years old and those scars remain. And they mess up your relationships. They can mess up your marriage. They can mess up your relationship with your kids because you are who you are. You have become a certain way. But... Here's the good news. Jesus doesn't want to leave us like that. And it's never too late to change. It's never too late to change. Now they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But these are not tricks. This is life. Amen. So we are. So we'll be a hurting, wounded person as an adult. This person will carry deep scars of rejection and self-loathing in his soul. He will view his interactions with others through the prism of rejection and may even resort to bullying or hurting others to assert himself over his own inferiority complexes. He will make Jokes that deprecate others, put down others because that makes, because, you know, normally people like that act like comedians because they, when they're in class, they become the class comedian. You know, they want people to laugh. That's the only way they can get what they think is a good response from others. And they, when they, when they grow up, they want to be the life of the party and they, but they're actually unpleasant, but it's a forced life of the party. It's not natural. They enjoy May put, making jokes that put other people down. Because they get, it's, it's actually to compensate for their own lack of self-esteem. Amen? He could even be a Christian. And that's the amazing thing. We often look at people like that. There's no ways he's saved. But they are. They genuinely love Jesus. But they're messed up. He could be a Christian and truly love God in his heart. But those deep-rooted wounds will keep surfacing and guide him through his life. And he will never fully become the man, the husband, the father, the brother that the Lord intended him to be. 
And that's the sad truth. Now, then comes the next level, which can get worse. With some people, their out-of-control minds can lead them into a world of negative imaginations and fantasies. <coughs> then they can go into delusions, fears, obsessions, paranoia. These are heavy-duty tools that Satan uses to destroy lives. One of the scars, one of the things that scars people more than anything else is pornography. Especially men who live in that world, they go into the world of pornography. You know, and pornography, like when I was growing up, we had pornography, but it was hard to find. Now, it's on your phone. You don't have to go far to view pornography. That's the terrible thing. It's right there. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's right there. And it leads you into a world of fantasy and delusion and can affect your marriage. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's dangerous. It affects your marriage. Can I be very frank with you? Guys who watch pornography, they expect their wives to act in the bedroom as those women they see in the pornographic movies. And when they don't, it causes problems in their marriages. A lot of problems in marriages are sexual problems. Nobody likes to talk about it. But it's true. Now, you cannot fight these things in the power of your own willpower. You cannot do it on yourself. You can't say, I'm going to beat the devil. You can't. You cannot do it on your own. People have tried and have failed. There are no instant fixes. Nor there are, are there any shortcuts to freedom. But cheer up. God has an answer to all the wiles of the devil. The answer lies in what the Bible calls the renewal of the mind. Your mind can be renewed. You can be changed. You can have a do-over on the inside. God can do it, okay? Consider the following words of scripture. Colossians 3.10. It says, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Colossians 3.10. Okay? So this is an admonition that after we have received Jesus, after we have become a new creation in Christ, we should also put on the new man. Putting on the new man is not a magical thing that happens, but it is something you have to want and to choose to put on the new man. It's like changing your clothes. When I worked a hard day and my clothes are smelling dirty, I go home, I put off the old clothes and I put on new clothes. So in the same way, you put off the old man and you put on the new man. It's an admonition. It tells us and we have to put on the new man. Everybody say, I will put on the new man. Amen. You take off the old man and put on the new man and the new man and what is the new man it says the new man is renewed everyone say renewed. renewed renewed that's the key word is renewed in knowledge after the image that created him in other words the new man is the new man which is and the new man is actually you the old man but he has been renewed into the image of Christ 
Amen. So we can, we can put off the old and we can put on the new. And there's an admonition to us that we should do so. Okay? So we put on the new man. Now the new man, to become a new man, we have to go through this process of renewal in our inner man. And this process is going to take some commitment on your part. You can't give it up after two days. It's not like, it's like going on a diet, you know. You go on a diet and, and then after two days you look at the mirror, ah, this thing doesn't work. <laughs> you have to stay with it, you know. Putting on the new man is a commitment. It takes, a, it takes commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. All right? Now, two more scriptures. The Apostle Paul can, continues with the same admonition. Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He tells us, be renewed in your mind. In Romans 12 verse 2, be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed, that means changed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, if my mind is renewed, then I'm changed, Right? I'm changed from what I don't want to be to what I want to be. Or I'm changed from what I am, which is the person I don't want to be, and I'm changed into what I want to be. I want to be changed into the image of Christ. So that transformation comes through renewal. So the key to victory is the renewal of the mind. Did you get that? It doesn't come through laying on of hands. Right? I mean, you can line up, get into every prayer line and ask them to give you a Pentecostal massage until you become bald. You will not change. You need, you need to go through the process. Amen. But you have to be willing. You have to be tired of the way you are. Amen. Now, look at this. Second Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And many people think that this means, oh, I have the spirit of power. I have the spirit. No, no, no. This is something that God has given to us, but in it, is, it's, it, it contains an admonition for us to receive it also. God has given us the spirit of power. Yes, but we have to receive it. This doesn't come by default that you're a Christian, so you're the power of love and of a sound mind. I know a lot of people who don't have power, they don't have love, and they don't have a sound mind. But why don't they have it? Because God has given it to us, but you've got to embrace it and receive it and take those steps that it takes to embrace them into your life. Amen? So the last part of this word uh, is word uh, about God giving us a sound mind is actually an admonition or calling to soundness of mind, to moderation and to self-control. Here's another scripture, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said to him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. See that here comes the mind again. So, Let me tell you a story. This is painful. I wish Britta wasn't here. But when we got married, I was a, uh, you know, because I had gone lonely all my life. And I thought when I got married, 
it would solve all my problems. But it didn't. But I wasn't a good husband. I was verbally, I, I never did physical violence on her, but I was verbally abusive. I was emotionally abusive, and I had a short temper. I had a, uh, I never hit her, but I used to hit the door, hit the walls. I was, I was a, I was a holy terror or an unholy terror. I mean, I was, I, I was bad. I, I mean, I was, and I used to hate myself because I knew the thing was that while I was acting that way, I knew all the time that this is bad, and this is not pleasing to God, and this is wrong. I knew it all the time. It's not that oh, I didn't know. You know, people who say I don't know, they're lying to you. They know. If they are Christians, they know they're wrong. But I knew I was at least facing up to the fact that I was wrong. But I didn't know what to do about it because that was me. So I remember one day I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, help me. And, and nobody, you know, there was nobody to teach me about it. But I read some books by Brother Hagen about faith. And, and that clicked in me. I said, well, there's some way out of this. So one day I was reading 1 Corinthians 13. Where it talks about the attributes of love. <coughs> love is patient. Love is kind. Remember that? Right in the beginning. So I, I suddenly saw. Love is patient. Love is kind. So I have the love of God because I saw in Romans 4, it says, for the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been, has been given to us. So I have the Holy Spirit. And because I have the Holy Spirit, I have the love of God, which has been poured into my heart. So if I have the love of God in me, then it says, love is patient. It says, I am patient. Love is kind. I am kind. So love is gentle. Love doesn't think any evil. So what I did, I printed out 1 Corinthians 13. And wherever it says love is this, love is that, I crossed that word love out and wrote I. I am patient. I am kind. And so I remember I used to go when I would take a walk. I'd put that paper out and I would... Because I had just studied about confession, confessing the word of God. So I would confess loudly. I said, I declare that I am patient and I'm kind and I'm loving and I'm all that. And then, you know, in the beginning I felt like I was a liar. Because I wasn't. But the word of God said I was. So I used to say those things to myself. I am patient, I'm kind. I did that for months. And then I began to see a change. I began to, I really began to see a change and it took some months and then suddenly it was gone. I wasn't, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, it's been a long time since I've hit a wall or a door or yelled at her and shout. I, I don't do that anymore. It's not me. And then what happened, and it took a few months, but I, you know, I, 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 I won a victory in this area. My, my, my bad temper, my out of control anger and all that, my way of reacting, that was just gone. And so then we had a brother, uh, a, a, an American brother who used to, who lived in Sweden. And he, he was a bull in a china shop. Boy, he was, ang- he used to grate on my nerves. He, uh, I hated to be in the same room with him. He was just very difficult and very, <laughs> Very few people liked him. 
So, and I remember, I'll never forget this. We were in a worship service in the church and the, we were singing in the spirit and the presence of God was there when suddenly this guy walks into the church. And the moment I saw him walk into the church, I felt like the anointing just flew out the door. <laughs> the presence of God was gone because he had walked in. And that's when I realized I had a problem. You know, so I said, okay, if this thing will work for me, I can make it work for him. So I took the same thing, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, I am patient, I am kind, I am gentle, and put his name there instead of I, or instead of where love is patient. And I used to go out and I used to confess his name. I said, brother so-and-so is patient. Brothers, I was lying through my teeth, but... But that's what the Bible said. So I was, he was patient, he was kind, I was doing that. And I did that for months, months. And then one day this brother called me, he wanted to see me. So I went to see him and he sat down and he began to cry. And he began to cry and he began to tell me. I was shocked. He says, you're probably aware of my personality, you know, the way I'm difficult. And he told me why he was... He told me of a traumatic incident that he had been through when he was six years old. And that's why he was. And then he apologized. And today he's a changed person. So you see, confession of the word of God can change you. But it can change others also. You can use the same word to change others. So it's a powerful thing, the renewal of the mind. Okay? So God used that to renew my mind. So let me tell you. How to get your mind renewed. You want to know that? Okay, I'll take only 10 minutes more, but that's why I say I really, 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 really want to help you with deep-rooted and long things you have suffered for a long time. Number one thing, distance yourself from all all worldly influences that pollute and control your mind. Since we are all different, we all have different things that pollute our mind, that control our minds. Things that control me may not control you. Things that may not control me may be bad for me. But what are the things in your mind that pollute your mind? Now, firstly, of course, we've got to get rid of sinful things. You've got to make a decision. Like if you're into watching pornography, and I don't have any illusions. I'm sure there's people who are sitting in this room who do that, and nobody knows you do, but We are talking now, okay? Let's not pretend. I I want to help you. So if you are, you've got to to say no to it. You, You do have that much that you can say no to certain things and say, Lord, I don't want this in my life. Help me. Okay? Please don't get silent on me. But that's the first thing you have to do. You've got to distance yourself. You've got to distance yourself. You've got to block certain things that can pollute your mind, that control your mind. And it's not just enough just to say no, but you've got to close certain doors. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, for example, I found out that I'm most vulnerable. I can have a great meeting and I can come back to the hotel and I'm tired and I'm, I just want to rest. That's what I'm most vulnerable. So when I check into a hotel, I 
I always tell the receptionist, please close out the pay movie channels. Just block them. Block all of them. I do that. You know why? Let me tell you this. Legalism is when religion sets boundaries on you. But Christian maturity is when you know your own vulnerabilities and you set your own boundaries. A mature Christian isn't one who thinks who is perfect, but he knows his own weaknesses and he sets his own boundaries. Amen? Say, for example, if you have a problem, you used to go to bars and drink and all that, don't join a team that is going to the bars to witness and preach the gospel. You're stupid if you do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you used to be into drugs, don't go where all the drug addicts hand out to witness to them. Let someone else do it. A mature Christian knows his own vulnerabilities and he draws his own boundaries. Okay? Okay, now. Secondly, certain, then certain worldly influences are not necessarily sinful. But they can control a large portion of your mind. There are sinful things such as pornography, certain kinds of movies and TV shows. Yes, I know that. But there are certain things that are not necessarily sinful, but they can control your mind and control an inordinately large chunk of your mind larger than they should. And you know what the biggest thing I found out is in America is politics. I've seen the kindest Christians morph into pit bulls on drugs when they talk about politics. You know the worst thing about politics? Now I understand we have to vote and all that. But you know what the worst thing that politics does to Christians is they begin to hate people from the other side. They hate them. Now, they might not admit they hate them, but they do because you listen to them talk. Listen to the way they talk about Democrats and liberals and gays. And Listen, if you, you know, there was one pastor was going on. I said, brother, please stop that. He said, why? I said, nothing that you're saying is wrong, but that's my constituency. You may not be interested in sinners. I am interested in sinners. And I don't want you... I don't want to hear things being said against people who Jesus died for, who I'm called to preach to. You may not be called to preach to them. That's okay with you. That's between you and God. But please don't do it in front of me. Because I don't mind, want my mind to be polluted with anger or hatred towards those people. Because Jesus died for them. And I'm called to preach the gospel to them. No, but we have to vote, you know, our civic duty. I said, yes. But if my civic duty turns me into a bulldog with AIDS, I don't want to be like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some, some people, now it doesn't consume me. I'm never consumed. By, I observe and I'm quiet. I don't say anything. But some people, oh my goodness, especially on Facebook. They, do you know how many people I block every election? 
says on, on Facebook, and most of them are pastors. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not good for you. It's not good for your mind. It's not good for your heart to be in situations where you're consumed with so much of anger towards people just because they believe differently than you. Okay, so distance yourself. Now, some people are not influenced by politics. For you, it's okay. But for those who are, if you see that as a weakness, you know, my goodness, I know. I don't recognize myself before the election. So just stay away from it. Okay, so that's the first thing. You've got to distance yourself from these things, both sinful and non-sinful things that consume your mind. Secondly, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Read the Bible daily. Study the scriptures that tell you what Jesus has done for us upon the cross. There are scriptures, you know, the Bible tells us a lot of things. The Bible talks about the end times. The Bible talks about the Old Testament kings and prophets. You know, there's a lot in the Bible. But there are certain scriptures. You can actually divide scriptures by different contexts, subjects. And there is one context is you look at the scriptures that tell you and me about what Jesus has done for you and me upon the cross. Study those scriptures. Take those scriptures to heart. Okay? Thirdly, speak the scriptures. Speak the word of God. Speak out loudly, daily, the scriptures that tell who you are in Christ Jesus. What God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And what belongs to you in Christ. Kenneth E. Hagin's book called In Him is a powerful little book that will help you in this. He's got this little booklet, it's blue and white, it's called In Him. It's pocket size, you can, you can take that and just, it just tells you who we are in Christ. And there's all the scriptures and confess those with your mouth. There's something powerful about confessing the word, speaking the word. I cannot emphasize it enough. It's not enough just to read it and believe it, but you have to change your vocabulary. Learn to speak in line with what the word of God says. Because you know why? The Bible says life and death are in the tongue. Your words are powerful. The words, your words you speak are creative power. Now I know a lot of people who are faith people who believe those things. But when you talk to them, you know, I dread asking them, how are you doing brother? And then they'll tell you how miserable they are. But they don't really believe that. But that's what comes off the top of their head. Many people, they believe in their heart that Jesus bore my diseases, carried my pains. With his stripes, I'm healed. But when they open their mouth, uh uh-uh, that's not what comes out. They'll tell how miserable they are because that's what is on the top of your head. So fill your head and your heart with the scriptures. Amen? So you learn to speak. Now when you learn, and that's the turning point. The turning point is when you and I begin to speak the word of God, And we train ourselves to speak the word of God in every circumstance. You will see that's when the metamorphosis will take place. That is when you'll begin to change. Your mind will begin to be renewed. That renewal begins when you and I begin to speak the word of God. Are you with me? Okay. So I'm going through this in detail because I want you to get this. So speak the word of God. Uh, speak out loudly and speak loudly. 
Don't just say, oh, I'm speaking in my heart. No, don't speak in your heart. Speak with your mouth. Amen? If you believe in your heart, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth, that means you, you, confession actually means to say the same thing as. So we say the same thing as what God says. Saying the same, not thinking, but saying the same thing that God says. Confess with your mouth, okay? Now, like for example, sometimes when I'm just on my own, this is an example of what I do. I go to Ephesians 1. That's a great place to say. You go to Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, praise God who has blessed, with, blessed us with every blessing in Christ and the heavenly realms. So I start there. I say, well, praise God. I am blessed with every blessing that is in Christ in the heavenly realm. So I, uh, I have the blessing of salvation. I'm, I'm saved and I am healed and I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. Everything that God has given to us in Christ, I have it already. I am blessed with every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. And that reinforces and builds me up. Right? The next verse says, the next verse, it says, I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm not rejected, but I'm accepted in the beloved. On and on. You go to the next, the first, you know, you go to the four or five verses. It'll tell you that you're accepted in the beloved and you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Wonderful scriptures. It's all there. So go through these scriptures every day and confess them and speak them out. All right? Okay. So then, fourthly, meditate on the scriptures by speaking them to yourself and chewing on them again and again. Meditating means to chew on the scriptures in your inward man. So you speak them and you chew on them. You speak them, speak the word and you chew on it. It's like chewing gum. You know how people chew gum and they chew gum long after. I like the tasty part of the gum. You know, the sugary part of the gum and normally... You know, when that is gone, I spit it out, put a new one in my mouth. But some people, they, they, they chew on the tasteless gum for hours. That's meditating on the scripture. You take, you chew on that gum until all the taste is gone. So you take the scripture and you chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. And then you, when the taste is gone, you spit it out and put some more scripture in your mouth. And you speak that and speak that and speak that. Are you with me? Americans don't understand meditate, but they understand chewing gum. <laughs> but when you're through of it, don't stick it under the church chair. Okay? Just chew on that scripture. Chew on that scripture. Chew on that scripture. And lastly, act on the word of God. Act on the word of God. Do what the word of God says. Whenever you see something, the where it says, pray for the sake, you know, pray Pray for the sick. If you meet someone who is sick, can I pray for you, brother? Let me lay my hands on you. And, and the reason you're doing it is not because you have great faith or you have a lot of experience. It's because the Bible says it. Be a tither. Be a giver. The word of God says. You see it in the Bible. I believe it. If it's in the Bible, I believe it and I'm going to do it. And that's my opinion. That's the way I view everything. It says, you know, about tithing, about giving, about loving people, about bearing one another's burden. Everything there is. The moment you see it in the scripture, put legs to the scripture and do it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So there's a lot to be said on this, but this is what you do. Now, I'm going to give you three more scriptures before I leave. 
The first is Isaiah 26 verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. If you keep your mind on Jesus, hallelujah, then you will trust in him. And God will keep you in perfect peace. No matter what the situation, no matter what is facing you, it could be a doctor's diagnosis that is bad or, you know, it could be financial, it could be anything. But if you keep your mind on the word of God, keep your mind on Jesus, he will keep you in peace. Hallelujah. And if, you, if he keeps you in peace, then you're on your way to receiving the fullness of what God has for you. Amen. Amen. Then it says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think of these things. Amen. I read it again. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think of those things. Anything that doesn't qualify here, don't even think of those things. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So now, let me just say this. This is a fight for our survival. Honestly, it's, it's, about your, it's about your life, your own mental state. It's about your marriage. And not only that, but I became, what I became was a result of what my father passed on to me. And the worst thing we can do to our children is being the unrenewed me. Because my kids will end up like that. And they might even end up worse. I remember when I, when my first child, our first child was born. And I remember when the baby was born, when I first held that baby in my arms. I was overwhelmed with these feelings. I mean, those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. When your first child is born, you're overwhelmed by these emotions that, that you know, that flood. Of, and I remember hey, looking at the baby and then I... My next thought was one of panic. I didn't have a good father. How am I going to raise this child? I don't want him to end up like I ended up. And that's when I made a decision. I will raise him the way the Bible tells me to. And I will, then I said, I will also be the opposite of what my dad was. Because my dad really stood out with how bad he was as a father. So I made the decision and I made the best. And so what we are, it's not just about us. It's about your next generation. If you really, really love your children, you will decide to change. Because you don't want them to be a version 2.0 of you at your worst. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't want that. So think of that. You and I, I mean, I, I'm 69 years old. I still want to change. 
Because God's ultimate, ultimate goal is to conform me to the image of Christ. So that one day when I go to heaven, the Bible says we will see him face to face and we shall be like him. But that doesn't just happen. That's the culmination of the journey we start here in this life. The journey we have to be like Jesus and that's the culmination of it. I'll be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the last scripture I want to show you is Proverbs 4, 23. It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. In the King James, it says, above all things, guard your heart because from it proceed the issues of life. And heart in this context doesn't mean just the spirit, but your entire inner man. Sometimes when the Bible talks about the heart, it means your heart and your soul, your emotions, your mind. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you and I have a duty to protect our minds, to protect ourselves, because all the issues of life proceed from our minds. What we are, you know, our psyche, everything, our decisions, our behavior, everything proceeds from that. So we have to guard and protect our minds from anything that could pollute it. Amen? Amen. And it's never too late to make that decision. You and I can change. Listen, with my messy background, if I could change, you can change. Honestly. I mean, most people have had a messy background. Unless you were born in a good, godly Christian home, that's another thing. But most of us who came from a life of sin, we had it. But I was probably one of the worst cases, leaving my home at that age, growing up the way I did. But, But you know, God, I'm living proof that if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Amen? And I'm, no, I'm by no means a finished work. I'm still work in progress. But remember this, that the Lord is with you. He wants you to do well. He wants you to win. And you can win. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's bow our heads together. You, did you get anything out of this? Okay, let's bow our heads together. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your holy word, which is able to transform us. Thank you, Father. While your head's about, I just want to do this, which is most important. If there's anyone in this place, I know this is church time Sunday morning, but I just want to be sure if there's anybody here (coughs) and you say, Brother Christopher, I need to get right with God. I need my sins forgiven. I need to give my life to Jesus. If that is the condition of your soul, please put your hand up because I want to pray with you. If there's anyone like this, you need to have your sins forgiven. You want to get right with God. You need forgiveness of sin. Just lift up your hand high enough. Okay, high enough for me to see it so I can pray with you. God bless you, madam. God bless you. Bless you, bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you, Father. So if you put your hands up, could you come and join me in the front? Just come and join me in the front. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Please come and just join me right here. 
God bless you. Stand and face me, huh? young man. God bless you. That's a good thing you did. God bless you. Anybody else? You need to get right with God. There's the opportunity. Pastor Chris, would you come? You need to get right with God. Now, I don't know whether this is the first time you've ever answered an altar call or you was just a renewal of, you know, that you gave your life to Jesus at one time, but you kind of fell off the wagon, but you, you know, but it's okay. Jesus loves you, and that's the important thing. And you're here to make things right with him. Pastor, would you lead them in prayer? Can you pray? Sure. Thank you for coming up. Exhale first. <laughs> We're going to say a simple but